0: Welcome to the Chronically Courageous Podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie Howard. Since I was a child, I've had chronic pain, yet was told time and time again that it was all in my head. So I pushed through my symptoms and I built a successful career until I found myself crouched on the floor of my office, barely conscious, After finally getting a diagnosis, I had to learn how to embrace the life I've been given as fully and happily as possible. Now, it's my mission to help you do the same. Join my guests and I each week for inspiring stories and tips on navigating the complexities of chronic illness. Together, I believe we can move forward with courage, passion, and purpose. Hello everyone, welcome back, and thank you so much for joining me each week. It means so much to me to have you here, spending your time listening and learning with me. And if you are finding information that you find helpful, I really, really hope you do, because that is my intention please feel free to share it with friends family or any communities that you're a member of where you feel like it might be applicable so i wanted to also talk to you about this week because it was kind of a big week for me i have been a single mother since my son was 19 months old and just yesterday i sent him off to college so we spent the past couple of weeks packing. We had a day when we moved some of his stuff in and then yesterday was the final move in. And we uh, said a teary goodbye outside of the dorms because with the pandemic going on, I wasn't allowed inside the dorms. So it was just a strange feeling. And I am going to allow myself this week to break down a little bit and move through those emotions and Nurture myself through this, and I know he's doing well and he's happy. But being that the circumstances are unusual, he's going as a first-year college student. Well, during a pandemic is a little strange, and he's my one and only kid. So just really gonna have to work with that and do the best I can. Anyhow, let's talk about this week's episode. So this week is actually a continuation, part two of an episode I did last week with Marina Lombardi. And Marina is a member of both the disability community as well as the LGBTQ community. I met her at a conference for a disability that we share in common and we just really connected and she's a wonderful speaker and she's a wonderful advocate and has a great story to tell. So with no further ado, here is part two of Marina's episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Let's shift gears here a little bit. So Mm -hmm. talk to me about when you, when did you first come out? How old were you?
1: (laughs) So my, (laughs) I don't have a true coming out story. I am um, sort of a, I don't. Um, So I grew up in, in rural New York and I spent A lot of my adolescence sort of knowing that I was struggling with something internally with respect to my identity, but not really completely understanding what that was. And, I mean, I grew up in the theater. Right. And I grew up having a diverse group of of friends and family friends. So it wasn't even that the LGBTQ plus community was foreign to me. Right. Um, I think that, as much as I, as much as I hate to think this about myself, because I think it's always hard to face our own internalized ableism or internalized homophobia or all these different things. I think there was a part of me that was really afraid of the idea of being anything other than a cis straight woman, and I didn't really see somebody or know somebody that I could kind of assimilate with Mm. and you know like I mostly I knew gay men or I knew gay women and that didn't really fit how I perceived myself Mm -hmm. and that was hard because um ultimately it ended up delaying my whole process of self-discovery right Um, And then I was thrust into this world in conservatory where I was a vocal major and you're just dealing with recitals and pretty dresses and ball gowns and having to look good all the time and wear high heels because it makes you stand, you know, the way you're supposed to stand or whatever. And nothing ever felt normal about that experience to Mm -hmm. me. And I never really fit in. To any of those niches, but I couldn't ever really figure out what that was. And I think part of it was I just didn't let myself mm-hmm. process or fully discern. When I moved to Philadelphia um, after college, I met this incredibly wonderful group of human beings. And I was living in a diverse neighborhood, and not just diverse racially or religiously, but diverse in terms of gender and sexuality and just, in every possible way, a diverse community. And I just felt like I was myself and I felt like being me didn't, I didn't have to make some grand gesture of, well, guys, this is me. Like I was just me. Right. And so I started, I think I just started to really spend that time with myself thinking about who I am. And who am I attracted to, and perceive myself? And somewhere along the line, I think I just started to realize that my identity fell on this spectrum in a place that's that's very free and very fluid, and pr- pronouns are so important and they're so important for people to respect and to acknowledge, which is why I state my pronouns, which I didn't do at the beginning of this interview. So tell, tell us now then. So we, so we can all be informed. (laughs) So, so my pronouns are she or they. Okay. Um, I'm comfortable with either sets of pronouns. And for, for me, honestly, like pronouns are not the biggest part of my identity. And I think that that's why I never really felt like I needed this big coming out moment. Right. I mean, I'm sure there are going to be people, there are going to be like a ton of people who are going to listen to this pot- podcast and they're going to be like, wait a second, she's queer? <laughs> really? <laughs> like, they are. I swear. I absolutely swear <laughs> that this will probably end up being my coming out Woohoo! for so many people. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been, I just it's not something that I've ever really had a formal conversation with a lot of people about because I just never felt like it was something that needed to be disclosed. Like I'm not, it's, it's like, I am who I am and sure. I'm attracted to who I'm attracted to and my existence is my existence. And I think that basically the biggest thing that's happened is that over time I have felt comfortable just pressing outwardly who really is having a more masculine, um, or less feminine, however you want to put it, Mm haircuts, you know, wearing clothing that is more me. Right. And not worrying about what gender that expresses. And, you know, like that's, that's sort of just was a journey in and of itself. But now that I'm here, it's, it's a wonderful place to be because I think that the disabled community is very intersectional. And there's an incredible community of disabled queer people. And I've found an incredible amount of support in that group of people. So that's great. I don't know. So for everybody that's that's listening that didn't know, <laughs> for everybody else, think of a surprise. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. I'm happy. I'm
0: happy to be the conduit to uh, have that full freedom. Yes. Now you can be completely free, yeah. right? Another... another
1: Yes, level of freedom
0: and I think you know all any of us wants whether it's you know we're disabled or you know a certain like religion or sexual preference or whatever it is all we want is to be our authentic selves and there is so much power and strength and, and freedom that comes with just being like this is me and I'm not trying to be anything else that anybody else wants me to be, take it or leave it. You know, I, I think that's, that's just a human, a basic human need. And it's unfortunate that we live in a world where there are so many constraints put upon people and, you know, boxes to fit into and, you know, and everyone kind of needs to know exactly where you fit. No. And it's like, why, why, why do we need that? That's yes. just us. That's it. Yeah, You know, take- a- absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I, we had this little conversation just for, for the audience to hear. As I was asking you to be on the podcast and I had heard your speech that you did on the LR danlos Society Virtual Conference, you identified yourself as a queer woman. Um, and like me growing up, I'm a little older than you. So when I was growing up, queer wasn't a word that you would call somebody in a nice way. It was like like a bad word almost. But Tell me now what that identity means to you and why people should feel comfortable using that in, you know, in the appropriate situations. So that's a, that's a
1: really good question because I think there is still a lot of confusion about the terminology. And I actually don't think it's dissimilar to some verbiage within the disabled community. So Queer definitely was a word that had a lot of negative connotation for, for a long period of time and, and was often weaponized. And I think that we go through these, these periods of time where people in marginalized communities will reclaim vocabulary because it's a, it's a way to empower and it's a way to take away power from those who are trying to to cause harm and That's a great point. uh and you know from my perspective a, a word is a word is a word is a word and you know you make words good or bad by by intention. And for a long time, the intention behind queer was not good because a, a certain group of people or a certain number of people made it that way. And then the, the community took it back. And, you know, there's there's actually quite, quite a lot of controversy around the word queer, even within the LGBTQ plus community, because there are a great number of people who identify as either you know, as gay or as lesbian identities who actually don't like the word queer. (laughs) But I think that there's a, a group of people who very much so identify with queer because it's a different kind of a term. I don't identify as a lesbian. I do not identify as bi. And I don't necessarily want the constraints of some of those identifiers or what people's perceptions are of those identifiers. Right. So for me, queer is sort of this place of freedom again, mm-hmm. you know, which I guess is sort of a, an underlying theme. Yeah, so just becoming <laughs> the theme. Um, <laughs> it's a place of freedom. You know, I like who I like, I'm attracted to who I'm attracted to, or I'm not attracted to. I'm not like, I don't, it's, it's this place. If I don't have to explain myself, you know, and I think that the same goes for, you know, my pronouns. And, and I also like, I, I, I make a point sometimes, like when I refer to myself as being a queer woman and that was, that was actually a point of struggle for me because, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, I do identify in sort of a non-binary way because I I do identify sort of both masculine and feminine. and that's that's, I think been more of a struggle for me than my sexuality component. And you know, it acknowledges for me that I'm comfortable with the part of me that is female, but it doesn't encompass my whole being right being female for me being just a woman that's it's it isn't just me that doesn't that doesn't do me a full justice right. because there's more to my identity than just that sure so for me being a queer woman helps to better encapsulate what i feel is my full identity as a as a human being and you know, I mean it can kind of, these conversations can kind of get convoluted because yeah. they are rather heavy and, and they almost feel philosophical. But I think it's just freedom is the best yeah, is the best freedom word. Freedom to not
0: to not have to fit into any of those boxes and to just be yourself, like we talked about. Being that you identify both as queer and then also as a person with a disability, what unique challenges has that presented for you in your life? And then conversely
1: what gifts has it brought to you? I I think the challenges have not always been apparent. For most of my life, I've been straight and cis passing, and that is a privilege in a lot of ways, but it's also something that, as I have figured out more about my identity and become comfortable with who I am, I've recognized that that's not a privilege that I want if that makes any sense mm-hmm. um, because I feel like in a lot of ways it just contributes to the problem or it contributes to the marginalization because I, you know I don't want people to just assume or that I'm cis we you know people that shouldn't be a default for people anymore tell me what cis is forgive my ignorance but- that's okay so cis Is when you identify with the, as the gender of the sex that you, the biological sex that you were born. Okay. So if you were born with biological female sex organs and you identify as a female gender, then you would be cis. Right. Female. Got it. Thank you. So, you know, I think that the default still is you see a person in front of you, they look like a girl or a woman, they're a cis, they're a straight woman. We don't really, we haven't really gotten to that point yet where we have totally normalized people having different genders, especially people who are non binary or gender fluid or, you know, the the trans community is still very, very much marginalized. Even within the LGBTQ plus community, mm. they are often ostracized. Really. Which is unfortunate. Why do you why do you think that is? I think there are a number of reasons. I, I think that I, I think it comes to, I think it comes down to a gender issue, not a sexuality issue, mm-hmm. really. And I think that when you are, you know, if, if you're a if you are gay and you're cis, you're stilling with the anatomy that you were born with. And that's something that people can sort of get behind. So it's like all they have to all they have to sort of figure out is, okay, this is a man and he likes another man. Or this is a woman, she likes another woman. Right. But when you're dealing with somebody who's non-binary, when you're dealing with somebody who's trans, now you're dealing with this whole other component of, well, I don't understand. You were born with this body so that means that this is who you are and it's like well no that's actually not true and and i think that that can be a very very challenging you know situation as we're seeing in in the world because the the amount of violence against the trans community and specifically against the black trans community or black ind- people of color, trans community, is outrageous compared to other communities. So, you know, it is an issue, and and certainly I, I cannot speak from a place of total understanding because, you know, I, I am not subjected to that uh, violence. But I really feel that coming out with my identity, be, being forthright now, and making a point to not just let people come to their own conclusions and to be very like free and, oh, well, you know, I am who I am and it's not important that I make a formal coming out or I this or that or whatever. Um, I'm trying to step away from that and be much more bold about my identity because I think it's important right now in the world to represent that part of my community and then part of my identity just for advocacy purposes and for solidarity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And as far as gifts, it's a huge gift. I mean, this community is so incredibly important and there are so many beautiful people in this community. There are so many intelligent, strong advocates and to be able to be in that space and to share ideas, and to learn, most importantly, to use my ears, and to listen, and to hear their stories, and to share their stories, has been, has been a gift. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to live in a world that's bland. I don't want to live in a world that's just... Where everyone looks the same, acts the same, does, yeah, that'd be very boring. Um, yeah, I, um, I want to live in a rainbow, I want to live in a rainbow world. Yeah, um, yeah. And, so for me, that is a gift. I love it. And thank you for,
0: for educating those of us that don't know as much. I, to, I, I love the idea of just having that identity where it doesn't, it doesn't have to be put in a box. Because again, it's, it's so normal for people to want to do that. But it's, it's beautiful that like people are now being given this opportunity to just, just be who they are. Yeah, absolutely. So... Being that you've been through what you've been through and this whole EDS odyssey and lupus and not coming out or coming out or <laughs> identifying yourself, what, um, what advice would you give to others that may be you know, kind of more at the inception of their journey? What tips advice, or advice would you give to them?
1: So my first, my first piece of advice would be uh, that you should learn how to advocate for yourself which can be a really challenging thing to do, but I think that it's the most important piece of advice that I can offer for somebody going through this kind of a journey, because you will have to do it. Unfortunately, we still live in a very ableist society and that includes the the medical field, um, the, the healthcare professions, not all doctors and not all allied health professionals are ableist, but many of them still are, even if it's just unintentionally. And that does affect care. Um, It affects access to care. It affects the quality of care. It affects the way we receive care. And when you are able to know what your needs are, what your rights are as a patient, and you're able to clearly communicate all of that to your healthcare professionals and you know and to, to the people in your life, to your loved ones, to your family members. We deal so much with family members not understanding what you're going through, calling calling you know, hypochondriac, or you know, like all these different things because they don't understand and it's so foreign, and all they're hearing from doctors is that they don't have answers. So then they start to think, oh, maybe they're just making it up, or maybe they're a little bit crazy or whatever. So I think that if you can learn how to speak up for yourself in a productive and respectful, but firm and distinct way, it will really help through your journey. And I think that it it also... It helps to thicken your skins too, your, your skin, because it can be disheartening to go through this a lot. Sure, sure, oh, that's great advice. I wish, I wish I'd known you twenty years ago when I
0: was <laughs> trying to figure this all out. That would have been great advice to have. Because yeah, um, <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't have a voice for a very long, you know, for a very long time. And I, you know, now in my forties, I'm just the, the late end of my forties. I'm just finding my voice and. Boy, it would have been nice to have that earlier, but you know, we go through, what we go through to arrive where we are and it's just great to, to be where we are now. Right. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Place of empowerment. So you've had to be very courageous and I have a lot of respect for how you have advocated for yourself and for how confident and clear and, you just come across with this knowing of this is who I am and I love that. And it's great. And it, but it takes courage, right? Because the world is not always accepting of these differences. So tell me how, how do you define courage?
1: I define courage as standing up for not just yourself But for those around you, even if they're not through exactly what you're going through, and even if what you're doing isn't going to directly impact you Mm -hmm. or benefit you, taking a chance, sticking your neck out, taking a risk to benefit your community as a whole, to benefit somebody else entirely. Yeah. To me, to me, that's courage. And I'm seeing a lot of that these days. It's
0: beautiful. Good to hear too. I want to do a quick little kind of rapid fire section. If you've heard the podcast, you kind of know what's coming, right? hmm So chronic illness has made me more. Empowered. I agree. It's a good one. Mm -hmm. the the one thing I wish healthy healthy people would understand about chronic illness is... We are just fine. I love that. Oh, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Don't have to pity party for us. No pity parties. (laughs) I wish other people without chronic illness would...
1: Do the work to learn... And become educated so that disabled people don't do all of that work to educate them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're good at this. If I could eliminate just one of my symptoms,
0: it would be. Ooh. So many to choose from, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, at this point, probably some of the dysautonomia symptoms. Mm-hmm
0: which just for people who don't understand, can you tell them what those are?
1: Yeah. So dysautonomia is the dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system, which controls involuntary functions such as heart rate, blood pressure, temperature regulation, digestion, so many things. So for me, I would say it's, it's, it's symptoms in that um, general area that would be really lovely to just poof, go with. Great, 100%. That was, I actually got my <laughs> dysautonomia
0: diagnosis a couple of years before I got my EDS diagnosis. And that was a, a fun ride, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, the most valuable lesson I've learned through this journey has been
1: being honest. About who you are is extremely rewarding. I love that. I love
0: your answers; they're great. I'm, I'm just, I'm just Thank really <laughs> impressed. How old are you, if you don't mind my asking? I'm 28. Okay, so like, let me just say this: at the, I'm 20 years older than you. The wisdom that you have and the the confidence that you have to be you at the age of 28 is so amazing and so beautiful. And I just, I just like commend you for it. And you are at such an advantage to be at that age and already have embraced that and already figured that out. It's gonna, it's gonna make your life a lot more fun, a lot more easy, a lot more free,
1: all those things that we all want, right? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh. It, it feels like my journey was sort of slow, and then a lot of things just all happened at once. But I guess I I can't really say that I would change much. Right. I,
0: I can say the same thing. Our journey is our journey, and and we wouldn't be exactly where we are right now if things hadn't happened exactly the way they'd happened. So, I'm I'm personally thankful for every step of the journey, even though some of it was uh, was tough. But you can't really, absolutely, yeah, you can't appreciate the highs without the lows, right? Absolutely. It's, it's that rainbow thing. We need that variety in life. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, totally. I didn't know before this conversation that you were a musician, actually. Are you a vocalist and you play an instrument?
1: Yeah. So I have played piano since I was five. And violin oh. since I was seven. That's amazing and voice started when I was seven Ugh. so these days I do a lot more teaching than I do performing because I've unfortunately had a couple of jaw surgeries mm. that they make it a little bit harder for me to sing but also it's it's just I have to be careful because singing is so um taxing on the jaw and it's probably years of singing without knowing that I have had EDS that I was just, it was just repetitive use and degradation of the joints that probably exacerbated all of those issues and, and led to me having a couple of surgeries and um, I'm trying to avoid further surgeries. So yes. we we're, were careful. Right. I also think there's a tremendous amount of
0: healing power in music. I mean, it's such a, for me, it's always been, you know, I know when I was younger and I had a lot of like anxiety and I was very shy and introverted, that was like a way that I could just fully express myself. And I would sing anywhere to anybody who would listen. And even if they didn't want to listen, I'd still be singing. So. (laughs) yeah
1: absolutely yeah
0: it's uh it's still kind of a dream of mine to like actually do it more formally I did for, for a very short time I sang with a band when I was a lot younger yeah and then I got caught up in corporate and trying to be everything that everybody thought I should be and all that stuff but you know what here's here's another awesome gift is that having gone through this whole you know EDS odyssey as we've been calling it and And being on disability now, I mean now I have the chance to do the things that I really want to do in life and and that and one of them is this kind of thing. I mean, you know my purpose is to help help other people and to you know and help people to have a voice and feel validated and heard and understood and give them tools to live their life in a better way and And now I can do that, and it's amazing, and I love it and I'm just starting
1: i have I have plans so it's so great. I'm so excited that you're, that you've taken this on, that you're doing this. It's so important that our voices are heard and, you know, not just for for our own community, for solidarity, but for the rest of the world to, to hear, because, you know, we, we cannot, we cannot be silenced and, you know, the, the world needs to, to recognize our voices as strong and empowered and not as something that's just weak and incapable. Amen. And it takes, it takes as many of us as possible to get that point across. That's right.
0: That's right. So I'll ask you one last question and we'll wrap it up. What do you feel like, you know, you've gone through this, this wild journey of lots of twists and turns. What do you feel is your purpose and what gives you passion and life to get up each day and, and keep
1: going forward? I think some of us are a little bit more uh, free spirited than others yeah. and I've always been very passion driven and that's a wonderful way to be and a lot of people admire that. It's not always very fiscally efficient, right? Um, <laughs> to put it pointedly. Um, <laughs> and it can be logistically challenging at times. Mm -hmm. But I also think that the disabled community is one of, I I, I would argue that we are the most adaptable people because we have to be. Right. So I think that the fact that things are kind of ever-changing for me is, is okay and kind of fits with the rest of my life. But I think my purpose in general is I think at my very core, I'm an advocate and I am a voice, uh, that speaks for what I believe is right and what is important. Some of my intentions or my causes have sort of modulated, but yeah, I mean, I think that really my purpose is to, to advocate and to fight and to support those who are also doing that work to lift up the voices that need to be heard and to know when it's my time to to kind of stand in the back and just be a support system. And I don't know what that's going to look like as I continue to move through my journey because I am very much a proponent of It is the journey, not the destination. That's a great way to live.
0: Hello again. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And my apologies, it got cut off a little bit early. We were having some technical issues and the internet went down. So being that I was moving my son all week, I did not have time to re-record that. But essentially, we just spoke of how to get a hold of Marina. So what I will do is get that information from her, put it in the show notes, and if you need to reach out to me to find out how to get a hold of her or how to follow her on social media, please feel free to contact me at bonnie at the chronically which is also in the show notes, or you can direct message me on my Instagram and. Follow me there as well, where you can kind of see throughout the week what I'm up to. As always, I have so much love and gratitude for you all. And just a reminder to stay courageous, which does not mean you don't feel the fear. It just means you feel it and you keep moving forward anyway. It means the world to me that you took your time and energy to listen to this entire episode of The Chronically Courageous. If you know others that would benefit from listening, please share it with them. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast player of choice. I welcome your feedback and questions. So please email me at Bonnie at That's B O N N I at thechronicallycourageous.com. As always, I'm sending you so much love, happiness, and healing.